good evening. I'm Carl Higby in for Greg Kelly. He's out this whole week and I'll be here. But elections have consequences. In just seven months, we have seen the full force and effect of someone who cares more about politics and power than actually the country that they were elected to represent. Now, if you're watching this, I want you to call your family and friends. Seriously, have them turn this on. Turn the channel to this program because people need to hear the brutal honesty of what just happened in Afghanistan. Now, I'm going to make a lot of people really uncomfortable by saying this, but I, I really don't care because it needs to be said. If you voted for Joe Biden, you directly contributed to the situation in Afghanistan that killed 13 American soldiers, full stop. 13 American heroes who didn't have to die, 13 families that'll never be the same. Let's say their names. Kareem Nakori, United States Marine, Lance Corporal, 20 years old from Narco, California, okay? Nakoi was assigned to the 2nd Battalion, 1st Marine Regiment, 1st Marine Division, based in Camp Pendleton, California. He joined the Marines in 2019 after graduating high school. He was barely alive at 9-11. His family says he'll always want to be, he always wanted to be a Marine, and that he planned to make a career out of it. United States Marine Lance Corporal David Lee Espinoza, 20 years old, from Laredo, Texas. He had just transferred from Jordan to Kabul one week ago to help with the evacuation. Navy Corpsman Max Soviak, 22 years old, from Berlin Heights, Ohio. He was an honor roll student in high school and played football. His mother, father, and 12 brothers and sisters all in mourning tonight. Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, 20 years old, from Jackson, Wyoming. He was, his enlistment was on his 18th birthday, determined to serve in the Marines, and just got married earlier this year, then deployed to Jordan and was relocated to Afghanistan two weeks ago. Column's widow is pregnant with the couple's first child. She's due next month. Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz. He was 20 years old from Wentzville, Missouri, joined the Marine Corps shortly after graduating from high school in 2019 and was on his first overseas deployment. He too was relocated to Afghanistan just two weeks ago. Marine Corps Sergeant Nicole Lee G, 23 years old from San Diego, California. She was assigned to a combat logistics unit at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. She was promoted to sergeant in Kuwait not long before landing in Afghanistan. Her husband, also a Marine. Staff Sergeant Darren Taylor Hoover, 31 years old from Midval, Utah, 11 years in the Marines. His family says he was inspired to join the military by the September 11 attacks. He was 11 years old when that happened. Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Noss, 23 years old, Coryton, Tennessee. He deployed to Afghanistan in 2017 with the 82nd Airborne Division, Bronze Star, Purple Heart. Corporal Hunter Lopez, 22 years old, from Coachella Valley, California. He joined the Marines shortly after high school graduation in 2017. He was planning on joining the local sheriff's department when he returned home from this deployment. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Dylan Morella, 20 years old, from Ranchero, California. He was a first overseas tour and due to return to the U.S. this month. Marine Corporal Dagan William Tyler Page was 23 years old from Omaha, Nebraska. He planned to go to trade school and possibly even try out for the NFL when his enlistment ended. Sergeant Rosario Picardo was 25 years old from Lawrence, Massachusetts. A supply chief with the 5th Marine Expeditionary Brigade, she was deployed to Afghanistan as part of a task force assisting the State Department in evacuating Afghans and Americans. She was a member of the brigade's female engagement team, a group of experienced Marines chosen to navigate del delicate and cultural issues within the Taliban. 
Marine Corporal Humberto Sanchez, 22 years old, from Logan Sport, Indiana. He enlisted after graduating high school in 2017 where he played varsity soccer, took honors, dual credit college classes, and was on the homecoming court. Here they are. Folks, most of these people are barely old enough to rent a car, but yet they're overseas serving on our behalf. They're the real American victims of Joe Biden's presidency. And people need to understand that this is what happens when you elect people that have 50 years of experience and no actual accomplishments to show for it. I'm talking to everyone, even members of my family, okay? This is difficult for me, because I'm talking to members of my family too, who had the chance to elect somebody who projected strength versus someone who had been on the wrong side of nearly every foreign policy decision for 50 years. We must get away from the anonymity justification that, oh, my vote didn't do this. It did do this. If you voted for Biden, it did. There's no way to spin this as anything but a complete catastrophic failure. And if you voted for Joe Biden, you attributed to that. Let's take a step back, though. I want to look at the fact that they knew this was coming and they still did nothing. This largely could have been avoidable. July 13th, that's almost two months ago, the State Department warned that this was likely the outcome for the, this type of course of action. And as reported in the Wall Street Journal, the State Department sent via, or the cable sent via the State Department's confidential dissent channel warned of rapid terrorist gains in the, by the Taliban in the subsequent collapse of the Afghan security forces and offered recommendations on ways to mitigate the crisis and speed up an evacuation, the two people said. Okay. So now John Kirby and the State Department are trying to spin this into something positive. In the course of a very short order of time, 122,000, the largest airlift that the U.S. military has conducted, uh, uh, got 122,000 people to safety. The numbers speak for themselves. 122,000 plus is that that is that is significant. And a, a lot of lives um, were saved and a lot of lives are now in a better place. Trying to make it something positive? How about the ones that are still left there? You think this is some sort of political game, Kirby? You trying to save face? 13 American troops just died, and you want to somehow take credit for the poorly executing, the, the very job that you should have been doing in the first place. How about you just call it what it is? I'd have a lot more respect for you if you were just honest. This is a failure, and the measures put in place to make sure that nothing ever happens like this again are still not being taken. Instead, Kirby's up there proposing we should be patting him on the back for him somehow attempting to solve the problem that they originated. They created this problem. Since when do we care about how many people got out of the war zone? The only thing that Kirby should be saying right now is, you know, how many people are still out there? That's the question we'd ask. Is there one American left on the ground? But instead, their energy is focused on this. And, you know... In Kabul, private re rescue efforts grow desperate as time runs out. Eric Prince, okay, the guy who knows probably more about private contracting in, uh, than anybody in the world, he's done this on behalf of governments that everyone in the world has gone to him as the subject matter expert. He's one of these people working to these, these private efforts to rescue people. He did an interview this week and claimed that Biden administration has asked local governments not to cooperate with these private organizations, basically thwarting the only attempts at rescuing these people out in town right now. Now, I can tell you this is true. And you want to know how I know? Because I wanted to go. I tried every effort I had, every connection I had, every phone call I could make. 
I used every effort at my fingertips to get on a plane and go get our people. I was trained for this, probably better than just about anybody in the world. I did this in Iraq. And we had planes that were willing to fly us over there. But nobody could get approvals to get us into country. The contractor groups I spoke with were dumbfounded. Why they were being blocked from helping get American people out of Afghanistan. Folks, let's take a walk down memory lane. Do you remember Dunkirk? It's important for the historical reference here. Dunkirk was the battle in World War II when the French port had been surrounded and was under imminent capture from like the Germans and the, all the civilians in England banded together to help extract over 300,000 allied troops and civilian counterparts. These are civilians that took their personal boats and were willing to evacuate allied soldiers. This is no different from the concept we're seeing now. And yet we our government is so stubborn and inept that they don't want anyone to make them look bad, so they just block anybody from doing anything. Kidding me? What, what sense does that make? This is the history that should be taught in our schools for the next 200 years. Because I want everybody to know what happened. Because this is the DC Beltway garbage that just got 13 Americans killed. I mean, listen to this. Regretting not starting the evacuation even a few days earlier. Who's that for, Idris? Either one. We, you know, we make plans for a number of things, and, and clearly, as Chairman pointed out, uh, we, uh, as we did detailed planning throughout, we recognized that there might be a, a, a point in time when we have to conduct a NEO. No. That was just a few days ago. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and General Mark Milley, he's the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, taking no responsibility for the disaster they helped create in Afghanistan. And let me, let me preface this by saying, if you didn't help create it, you should have resigned. If you thought this was a bad plan, you shouldn't have kept your position. You should have had some character and you should have resigned if you didn't like the plan, but you went along with it. And instead of playing this blame game now, there's, there's one group of highly trained U.S. military veterans that are taking matters into their own hands. They're retired Green Berets, there's some SEAL team guys in there, some of which I know, volunteering and secretly rescuing hundreds of allied operatives from Afghanistan. There's a week-long operation called Pineapple Express. Now, retired Navy SEAL and author of Trident, Jason Redman, who I had the fortunate opportunity to serve with a couple times. So, uh, Jason, you guys are actually part of the solution here when it doesn't seem that Anybody else in our own federal government doesn't want to pick up the slack. You guys did. Tell us about what's going on. Carl, what's up, brother? Good to see you. And uh, yeah, over the last week, Task Force Pineapple was created and we have successfully accomplished uh, evacuating over, we estimate now, close to 700 Americans, Afghan veterans, interpreters, numerous VIPs, and uh, creating a one-of-a-kind uh, virtual underground railroad mechanism called the Pineapple Express. Yeah. Uh, just let me say here, if you need bodies, I'm ready, willing, and able to go. I'll be on a plane with you guys tomorrow. Um, I, I don't know what... Well, yes, Carl, it's funny you say that because here's the reality. Now the hard work truly begins. And a lot of people have asked, you know, who is the Pineapple? Who is Task Force Pineapple? Well, guess what? Americans can potentially be Task Force Pineapple because we have relied on a network across this world. Right now, this country, unfortunately, our government, for whatever reason, has decided they're not going to honor the promise to these people who supported us. There are so many Afghans who are stuck behind, who were promised by this government to be able to come home and lead a good, free life, not under the rule of this violent government, the Taliban, you know, 
terrorist group. I don't, I don't even want to call them a government that's in power right now. Regime. And, uh, and we, we need to honor that promise. So if you are, you need a question, if you're out there, I hope you will question what it means to be an American. Because, you know, when I grew up, it meant something special to be an American. It meant something if we said we were going to do something and we took care of those who took care of us. Yeah. So that's why the motto of Task Force Pineapple is honor the promise. And it's not about the right. It's not about the left. It's about no man is left behind. And right now we've got a lot of people, including American citizens, who are still left behind. Yeah. And, and it doesn't seem like people are actually caring about it up at the State Department, up at the DOD. My, my issue here is the Taliban, we, we've essentially outfitted them. By the way, if you're a taxpayer, you have on average have contributed over $250 to the Taliban via weapons, night vision vehicles. They now have more Black Hawk helicopters than 90 percent of, of countries in the world, all because of our tax dollars. Now, you know, Jay, you and I, have, you know, we were in Iraq together. We did a platoon uh, in, you know, sister platoons together. And I, from what I remember is we just blew up all the stuff we left behind. Why didn't they take those precautions at all during this withdrawal? You know, Carl, there's so many things that have been done that I just scratch my head and just don't understand. I mean, everything from why we gave up Bagram. Um, you know, to why our, our government and Department of Defense didn't, didn't decide to push security forces out into the city to allow safe passage for both American citizens and the Afghans, the vetted Afghans who we said we were going to bring home. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't understand these things. But I will tell you this. This is what people need to understand. There's a lot of people out there that are saying, well, we can't stay in war forever. And you're right. We can't. We can't run forever wars. But mm -hmm. there are better ways we could have done this. And at the end of the day, if you remove the war component for 20 years, we worked alongside individuals, many of which, in my opinion, are more American than half the American or some of the American citizens that are out there. Mm -hmm. And we promised them we would bring them home. And that is not done. But so many people out there in America, they, they can't connect with us. When they think of Afghanistan, it's as far off land with mountains that, you know, just has nothing but terrorists. And <laughs> there is some truth to that. But the reality is there's a lot of great people, mm -hmm. people who sent messages like this. This is one of the families we got out. Names and locations have been changed. Hey, John, it's Bill. We're moving on the first leg to our unknown city in America. And I want to I want to know you. I want you to know, please come visit us. You saved my family. Anything you need. I'm forever here. We love you. These are people no different than your neighbors down the street, man. They supported us, right. and it's up to all of us to – you need to pressure your political leaders to do the right thing and honor the promise we gave these people. I 100 percent agree. You know, you and I both know Johnny Walker, who we were in Iraq with together. Uh, we had him on the program talking about this. He had a similar situation. That guy is more American than 90 percent of this country, even though he was born in Iraq and, you know, ra raised over there. And a lot of these interpreters, they were willing to turn their back for almost certain death on the Taliban and on whatever terrorist group there was. And we couldn't get him out of there. I want to you know, I want to go over the fact that there was, a, there was a negotiation that happened, and this has just come out recently in the last like two days here, where the American leaders said, told the Taliban in closed doors negotiations, oh, we don't need the, the city of Kabul, we just need the airport. And the Taliban was like, all right, fine, like, I guess, we'll take the city. I mean, what do you make of these type of foolish negotiations that didn't allow us to have that or keep that perimeter that we had previously already established? Once again, Carl, there's a lot of things that have been done that I just scratch my head and I don't understand. But at the end of the day, right now, my focus and the focus of Task Force Pineapple is to get the remaining American citizens and the mm -hmm. remaining Afghan allies out. 
I'm not going to point fingers right now because the reality is uh, it is almost it is very difficult for us to do this on our own without right. the support of the U.S. government. So all I can say is please pressure your political leaders, reach out to them and just say, hey, we, we promise these people and we need to fulfill that promise. Yeah, I know. I'm Jason Redman. What you're doing is absolutely incredible. We appreciate it so much. And like I said, the offers on the table, anything I can do, I will be on a plane tomorrow if you need it. And anyone out there, if you want to help right now, you know, conducting these operations, moving to the next phase is going to take a lot of work. Please check out OperationRecovery.org. Uh, those funds will be utilized to try and help these people get out. All right. One, you know, one of the few groups out there actually doing what they're saying they're doing. Jason Redman, we appreciate you joining. Carl, thank you, man. All right. Well, look, we know Joe Biden's not up for the job. He's not even making himself look worse by the minute right now, the way he's responding to this Afghanistan crisis. Biden's you know, George H.W. Bush moment, and this is the former Trump campaign advisor, Corey Lewandowski, is going to join me after the break to talk about it. Information. Truth. Is power is freedom is money is health is newsmax millions watch it for free so can you no paywall no subscription newsmax is real news for real people i'm not supposed to take any questions but go ahead no, i'm not going to answer Afghanistan now okay well, that was Biden yesterday refusing to answer a question about Afghanistan at the end of a news conference on Hurricane Ida. And this is just another example of our president doing literally anything to avoid answering tough questions. Senior advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign and the Trump 2016 campaign advisor, Corey Lewandowski, joins me now. Corey, how are you doing, boss? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. So I want you to take a listen from what uh, Jen Psaki said earlier today. The men and women who gave their lives uh, and the president attended, as you noted yesterday, uh, to honor their service, honor their sacrifice and had time, uh, had the opportunity to meet a number of the family members yesterday. Really, Jen, is that what happened? Seems like Joe and somewhere had, a, you know, he had somewhere else to be. He was checking his watch during the, the service of the 13 soldiers who were mourning right in front of their eyes. I mean, this is how disrespectful is this guy, Corey? You know, Carl, it's amazing because we had a, a horrific day when 10 of our greatest warriors were killed because of the ineptitude of this administration. And then the disrespect he shows at what's called the uh, dignified transfer, that he's looking at his watch because he has somewhere else to be. Look, I can tell you, because Donald Trump attended four of these, unfortunately, for our men and women who were killed in the line of duty. And I was with him at one of those right before uh, he went to it at Dover Air Force Base, and it is probably the most difficult thing a president can do. But to go there and look at your watch, to seem at least indicate uh, by your actions that you have somewhere more important to be after your failed leadership caused this, uh, it should be it should be noted of how bad he has been as a president of the last eight months and how ineptitude that and how how inept he has been and what it has done to our to our great men and women who serve on the front lines and the morale that they have. Look, my brother was in Afghanistan, so this is very personal. Carl, you know what it's like to put on that uniform. 
Uh, these people do this by choice, and they expect that the leaders at the top of the chain will have their backs. That has not been the case under this administration. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Joe Biden kneel for the national anthem in support of this, this BLM movement and this anti, I, I don't even know what it is. It's some ridiculousness. But th I mean, this is just like George H.W. Bush during this presidential debate in 92, um, where, where he did something very similar. He looks at his watch, he moves on, and it was basically a, a huge blunder for him. You know, I have I have a real issue here when someone has the 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 wherewithal to knee or I shouldn't say wherewithal the the ridiculousness to to kneel for the national anthem and and you know be full attentiveness for that. But he's looking at his watch when we're doing the transfer of bodies. I mean, what did we get ourselves into here, and why did 81 million people vote for this guy? Americans have buyer's remorse. There's no question about it. $85 billion worth of equipment left behind. It seems to be the Taliban now has the fifth or fourth largest army in the world, the best equipped army in the world because of what we've left behind. But more than that, Joe Biden is clearly not in control. You see what he's saying. He looks at his notes and he says, who do I call on? Oh, my staff told me to do this. My staff told me to do this. My generals told me to do this. When you're the commander in chief, when you're the leader of the free world, which Joe Biden is supposed to be, you don't let people tell you what to do. You make the decisions. And when they, and when they say, hey, call on Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones at the press conference, that's what Joe Biden does. He reads off his list. He knows exactly who to call on because his staff has told him to do it. My staff has told me not to take questions. Someone asks him a question. It's about Afghanistan. He says, well, I'm not going to answer that. Right. That's not what leaders do. Donald Trump sat there at those press conferences for hours on end, taking every question. The people of the Biden administration couldn't spend one day in the shoes of the Trump staff because no. of the way the media treated us. Not, absolutely not at all. And before I get to John Kirby real quick, the, the point that you just made is like, who is in charge? He's sitting at a briefing table watching this unfold by himself. At no point during a situation like this is the president ever by himself. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. And remember, Kamala Harris said that she was going to be the last person in the room. There was nobody in the room. When he was out of Camp David, he came back from Camp David. He, did, he gave a press conference and got, took no questions, got back on the helicopter, and went back on vacation as Kabul was falling. How is that possible, Carl, that we even allow this? I mean, it, it, it's so and it, it's so it, it's it's so frustrating for Americans who want to stand for the flag and kneel for God and thank the men and women on the front lines every day that we have a leader in the White House who doesn't support them or respect them. Yeah, I mean, it just shocked me. Real quick, I want to get your take. While all this is going on, $3.5 trillion about to get lit on fire, and they're going to flush the ashes down the toilet on infrastructure. I mean, no one's talking about it. This is all just, you know, they're using the smoke, unfortunately, of Afghanistan, and Pelosi's ramming this through. Is this going to pass? I mean, you talk us about what goes down through the lobbying process that you see where all this is getting just paid out. This is going to pass. It's basically the Green New Deal on steroids. It's not just this three and a half trillion dollars. It's the other 1.5 trillion. So we're basically passing five trillion dollars of new tax increases on a bunch of people and, and mortgaging our children and our grandchildren's future. This is going to be one of those bills where you have to pass it before you read what's actually inside it. But unfortunately, Carl, the Democrats told us exactly what they were going to do. They told us we're going to go do all these things. We're going to raise your taxes. We're going to now stop being a country that exports energy and has to import it all over again mm -hmm. because we think that the biggest issue in the world is climate change. That's what they tell right. us. And so we should have known it, and we have to have a recourse at the ballot box in November 2022. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I don't see how people could not wake up to this. It's, it's unbelievable. All right, Corey Lewandowski, we appreciate you joining us tonight, sir. Thank you. Well, 16 years to the day after Hurricane Katrina hit, one of the strongest hurricanes on record made landfall on the Gulf Coast. We're going to go inside some of the worst damage next.
ago and need news now. No paywalls, no cable subscriptions. Just download the Newsmax app from your smartphone store. It's free. And watch Newsmax TV anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Greg Kelly Reports. I'm Carl Higby filling in for Greg this week. No power, no fresh water, no way out. Anyone who didn't evacuate the Gulf Coast ahead of Hurricane Ida is now facing that crisis. Countless homes are completely destroyed. There's catastrophic flooding across the region, including in New Orleans. And it comes 16 years to the day after Hurricane Katrina leveled the city. It was a natural disaster dodged uh, by President Bush, and it haunted him for the rest of his term, quite frankly. Joining us to talk more about the effects of the storm and the eerily similar experience to Katrina is Marine Transporter employee Mo Chasson. Mo, thanks for joining us. Uh, first off, give us a little background of what you do and, and what you're doing right now. What I'm doing right now is uh, cleaning up after this hornet's nest that was Hurricane Ida. But what I do for uh, my regular day job is I'm a port captain for Florida Marine Transporters. Um, we are a liquid transporting company on the rivers and Gulf Coast inland waterways. Uh, we move liquid petroleum as well as dry cargo products. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting, you know, <clears throat> we see a lot of these things when these natural disasters happen, especially down south where they have a lot of hurricanes. It's really you guys. It's the community that goes out there, grabs a chainsaw, grabs a truck, helps clean. I mean, look at this devastation. You are the guys out there cleaning stuff up. I mean, talk about the community coming together down there and, and what you've seen and, and how bad uh, the devastation is. I can tell you, it's it's one thing about Americans, true Americans, when they see other Americans hurting, or actually anybody hurting, they come together and we pull together and we, one has a chainsaw, the other one has a chainsaw. When we need to get roads cleared, everybody takes a hand and we do it uh, as safely as we can, but nobody's left without a hand, that's for sure. If you left here. Hopefully, most of the people have gotten out of here in Mandeville, but um, uh, we help every. And this is not our first rodeo, sir. Yeah. We've been through four. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it, uh, we, we, uh, how you know, long do you think it's going to take to dig out of this this storm here? Ooh, I would say probably uh, we'll, we might our restoration in. Are you there? Yeah, we're here. We we can hear you. We're uh, losing. You can hear me, but I think we lost you. The service down there is bad because there's not a lot of really, towers. Yes, sir. The service is really bad, and I apologize for that. Well, but I'm safe yeah, three weeks. Yeah, no, no, uh, it's okay. You know, we're uh, we're starting to lose you there, but we appreciate you coming on. And by God, we appreciate everything you're doing for your uh, your community down there, Mo. Keep up the great work. I don't know if we've uh, we've totally lost you there, but Jeff Landry is the Attorney General for the state of Louisiana. He's joining us right now, uh, Mr. Attorney General. How's uh, how's the the overall mood? We were just talking to somebody on the ground who's out there in his community cleaning up things himself. Yeah, I got to see Mo. I, I actually made two trips today to an area which we call kind of down the bayou in southeastern Louisiana. I made two different trips by vehicle today, speaking to the parish presidents, mm -hmm. law enforcement officers down there, first responders. Uh, look, this is the area that which was ground zero for the hurricane. Uh, we saw pretty much the same type of devastation that we saw last year in southwestern Louisiana in the Calcasieu area. Mm -hmm. Again, these are hardworking people down there. And I can tell you, in the two hours that it took me to go down there, back up and back down, it was remarkable uh, how, how much of a difference people were already making, clearing the roadways, uh, clearing the debris off the streets. Uh, the biggest problem right now is basically water, electricity, and basic governmental services. What we heard from parish presidents and from the sheriffs is that 
if you evacuated, especially Terrebonne, Lafourche, St. Charles, the areas down in, along the coastline, if you evacuated uh, your home, stay put where you are right now. Because again, basic services just aren't there right now. Mm -hmm. We've got a lot of hospitals that are offline. And so we want residents to kind of give uh, another 72, 48 hours to 72 hours uh, so that those services can catch up, so that they can go back and they can clean up uh, their properties. Yeah. Uh, how does this compare to Hurricane Katrina? You know, it's different storms. Each different storm has a different footprint in Katrina. It was a lot, a lot of flooding. Uh, we haven't seen the widespread flooding that we saw in Katrina and Rita. The storm surges, while made an impact, certainly I know that St. John mm -hmm. uh, parishes and, and St. James had some serious flooding issues as well as the North Shore, but the wind damage was much greater uh, in Southeast Louisiana this time than it was compared to say Hurricane Katrina. Again, the devastation is impacting. We've got a lot of government services that are out. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I mean, it is tragic. I love to see the fact that you're telling us that people are already making a noticeable difference in their communities. Attorney General Jeff Landry, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, America's reputation on the world stage is forever tarnished, quite frankly. We're talking to the former head of the Brexit Party in the U.K., Nigel Farage, after the break. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. And the likelihood there's going to be one unified government in Afghanistan controlling the whole country is highly unlikely. Look, we made clear to the Taliban that any attack, any attack on our forces or disruption of our operations at the airport will be met with swift and forceful response. Thank you so much. I'm not supposed to take any questions, but go ahead. On Afghanistan? I'm not going to answer Afghanistan now. Can you okay. What? Look, our country, our troops, our citizens, our allies, all remain in harm's way because of that man right there. And what makes it worse, this whole world is watching this, looking to America for leadership. So what does this mean for America's reputation on the world stage going forward? Hmm. Let's bring in the former Brexit Party leader, host of Farage on GB News. Nigel Farage, thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. So my first question to you is looking in at America saying, hey, America is generally the folks we call when there's something really bad that needs a military response or some global response. What is what, places like the UK, who is a very strong ally of ours, what are they looking into America thinking, hoping that we do and not seeing? Well, I mean, ever since 1917, when America entered the First World War, you know, for that over 100 years, we have been beside each other in virtually every major conflict. We have shed together much blood, spent much treasure fighting for liberty, democracy and freedom around the world. And actually, do you know what? Thank goodness we have. But when Joe Biden uh, makes a decision, a unilateral decision, uh, without even consulting with us, the United Kingdom, mm -hmm. or the other NATO allies, when the British Prime Minister 
desperately puts in a phone call and is not answered for 40 hours, we'll only conclude two things. Firstly, that he's made a dreadful decision. Mm -hmm. He's just given the Taliban $85 billion worth of a military, military equipment, American up-to-date military equipment. Have you seen the pictures tonight of the Taliban yeah. going into Kabul airport? They look like kids in a candy store. They can't believe their luck. They've got helicopters, rocket launchers, everything. So firstly, bad decision militarily, bad decision strategically, because there are $3.5 trillion worth of mineral deposits, including lithium, without which electric cars can't happen. And I thought we were all supposed to be going green. Um, and a, ter a terrorism risk increasing in Britain, Europe, and across the Western world. And all of this done without consultation. When Boris Johnson made a desperate phone call to Biden, he didn't get a response for 40 hours. Now, our conclusion to all of this is any new military ventures that America asks us to engage in, we simply will not do with this man in charge. And I think not only is the special relationship between our two countries in tatters, I can't even see a future for NATO. The critics all said that it was Trump that was attacking NATO. But all Trump was doing was asking for Germans and others to pay their fair share. Right. Biden wrecked it. And America's reputation, America's reputation, I don't think has ever been lower than it is today. And I have to say, there's a third point I want to make. Right. Everyone's saying it in private. Very few dare say it in public. But what is clear to me, this man is not fit for public office, not fit to be president of the USA, and not fit to be leader of the free world. I, I, I just want to recap. Look, I, you know, Nigel, I spent nine years in and out of Iraq, some of which time was done with the SAS and your Puma helicopters over there, and we got to work alongside you uh, as allies, and it was, it was a great privilege for me. But hearing what you just said, which is it is unlikely that the Brits will go in on future endeavors on foreign policy shoulder to shoulder the United States under Joe Biden. It, correct me if I'm wrong. That's what you just said, correct? That is what I just said. And I'll tell you this, you will not find anybody on this side of the pond more instinctively pro-America or pro-the American relationship than me. You know, I, I, I've spent 40 years working for American companies, being involved with American media companies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, 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 and working and engaging with American politicians. I believe that Winston Churchill was right when he talked about the English-speaking peoples of the world. And the leader of that is America, yep. and the UK is the buttress to yep. it. And if that relationship's broken, the whole thing has gone. I'm sorry, I don't like to say these things, but I would not trust America right now on this administration. We simply couldn't work together. Trust has been destroyed, and I mean it. Yeah, I, I, will, I will say that you know from the bottom of my heart that that hurts because i know what that out that relationship means and i could tell you if i was in charge believe me i'm coming back to the table to talk to you guys and i think the next president we have the next house we have is going to try to reaffirm those things i am beside myself that that is the response but it's completely understandable because if we're not enforcing the foreign policy that we signed a deal to uphold i i don't know what to 
what to say. Nigel Farage, thank you very much for joining us tonight, sir. Thank you. And I'm sorry I said those things, but I'm afraid it's true. No, it, it, I, you know what? That's why we have you on the show, because we want to have an honest conversation about the tough and difficult topics. And I appreciate you bringing it out tonight. All right. Our response to the deadly attacks at the airport in Kabul was a drone strike that supposedly killed this ISIS terrorist. Was it enough and the collateral damage we caused with that strike? What is it? That's next. At approximately 11 p.m. Uh, Eastern time last night, as many as five rockets were fired at the uh, Kabul airport. U.S. military forces successfully employed our force protection measures to thwart uh, that attack. The reporting from last night's uh, rocket attack, we assessed that uh, five rockets uh, were in the air and went. Three landed uh, off uh, the airfield, uh, were no effect, and CRAM uh, was able to affect and thwart uh, the attack of one and the other rocket uh, landed uh, with no effect to the mission or any danger to our personnel. Well, that was Major General William Taylor after the airstrike that killed 10 members of one family, including seven children. The drone strike that was targeting a vehicle with a suspect of ISIS-K suicide bomber who posed an imminent threat to the airport. Was that the right move? I mean, this is what happens when you lose all the assets on the ground because we didn't support them and the ones we did support, we got out of the country and now nobody in Afghanistan wants to work with us anymore. Joining us now to discuss is conservative and political commentator and host of BillWhittle.com. He is, is a great site that I get a lot of my stuff from, but Bill, I, I'm sorry you're joining us under these circumstances, but I gotta ask, we've been saying all along, this is going to take some collateral damage, unfortunately. But then they were saying, no, we don't want collateral damage. And now they're drone striking an entire family that kills seven children because we don't have the assets on the ground anymore to give effective intelligence. What say you? Well, we were given a promise from the Taliban that there'd be no rocket attacks. I mean, th this is what happens when you essentially trust your perimeter security to the enemy. Right. I've heard reports today that um, Americans are at the gates of Kabul airport with their passports in their hand, and they're being turned away by the 82nd Airborne Division. Now, I hate to turn this around on you, Carl, but what has that got to feel like if you're an American soldier? You, you've served this country honorably in uniform. How do you feel if you're an American soldier on one side of a gate, an American citizen managed to get through this chaos and nightmare, presents his passport to you, and you're, you're ordered not to let him in? I would defy what, those orders today too, and every day too, forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's because you, because you understand who you work for. And when we talk about collateral damage, it's hard not to look at what the collateral damage is going to be going forward. Of all of the things that we left them, I would give them everything that we left them, including the helicopters and the money, if I could get the 16,000 pairs of night vision goggles back. Men like you were able to do what you do because America owns the night. There are 16,000 pairs of military-grade night vision goggles out there. And how we are going to ever conduct special forces operations again, given, given that tremendous advantage that we have, just simply handed to them along with everything else. Right. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point. Is Like I did, we were essentially night owls. We slept all day. We opt all night. And that's how like, you're absolutely right. We own the night. And to, just to, to put people's mind racing on this at home, if a night vision goggle allows you to see at night, if we sneak in to kill bad guys in the middle of the night, you see us coming, okay? Precisely. It, it, How do you have the bin Laden raid? How do you have the bin Laden raid succeed if you've got guys on the roof 
with with night with night vision goggles. If you can see all these things happening, all of these, I don't have to tell you, I just know you really can't tell the people, all these special forces operations happen at nighttime because we can see in the dark and up until a few days ago, they couldn't. Mm -hmm. And now they can. Yeah. And I mean, it is shocking. And I I hate to switch gears to just something a little bit lighter, but still terrible. This hurricane, hurricane hits New Orleans. The liberals go absolutely bananas and say, this is proof of global warming. It's the worst hurricane in 150 years. It's like, yes, in 150 years, because 150 years ago, there was one that was worse. There was no global warming back then. What do you say? I don't. When you hear people say that, they defeat their own argument. I remember I saw an ABC News thing. I think it was Peter Jennings in 2005 when he was in front of the Arctic. And he says the Arctic Ocean has not been liquid at this time of year since 20 million years ago. And my immediate thought is, well, whose SUVs caused it to be liquid 20 million years ago? A hundred years is not a very long time. And by the way, I don't know if that hundred years in- includes uh, Hurricane Camille, but the Galveston Earth, uh, hurricane, which killed thousands and thousands of people, that happened uh, over a century ago. So once again, once again, we are using this to generate fear so that they can take our freedom and our money to tell other people what to do. Yeah, it is shocking. Bill Whittle of BillWhittle.com. Go there, subscribe, get your news from him. We appreciate you joining us. My pleasure, buddy. All right. General Michael Flynn, an American hero, the latest victim of cancel culture by Chase Bank. We're going to be right back on that. Don't go anywhere. All right, so General Michael Flynn is another American hero. I know him personally. He's former national security advisor to President Trump and retired lieutenant general. That's three-star general. And for some inconceivable reason, he just received a notice in the mail dated August 20th from Chase Bank. They told him his personal credit card is being closed because of, quote, a reputational risk to their company. Chase Bank is worried that a three-star military general being a client, is this going to damage their reputation? First of all, Who even knew that Flynn used Chase Bank for his personal finances, okay? That had to come from inside. The only reason we know it is because they did this and General Flynn put the information out there. Otherwise, nobody would have known. Is this Trump derangement syndrome? I mean, it appears like it. Well, folks, I'm Carl Higbee in for Greg Kelly. Please stand by for Stinchfield. He's next. We'll see you tomorrow.